In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, a Christian philosopher and theologian and prolific writer, shares about the attitude that many take in saying that, you know, we believe that Jesus was a a good teacher, he was a moral leader, maybe even he was a prophet. And he takes that statement to heart and combats it to say this, I'm trying to here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He goes on to say, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But he says this, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. When we think of the person of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, C.S. Lewis basically comes to the point of saying he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. Peter the eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry as he is writing his letter, as an eyewitness who saw Jesus in life, ministry, miracles, teaching, preaching, showing love and compassion, declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is what we hold to today and clearly stands as the teaching of God's word. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're continuing on through our study of 2 Peter. And we're going to pick up today in verse number 10. And it kind of picks up halfway in the sentence. He has just said in verse number 9 that he is going to judge those who are false teachers, preachers, those who are holding to false philosophy and sharing that. And uh, he says that, that they are going to experience punishment on the day of judgment. And then he says, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are great in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge among them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and 
destroyed. Slander what they do not understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed. Children under a curse. They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, A dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. With that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would take these next moments and that you would speak clearly, that our hearts would be open. In your name, amen. Peter, as he writes the book of 2 Peter, is challenging believers with three distinct challenges. That they are to be waiting for the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming and judgment is coming. That they are to guard their faith. The whole chapter of 2 Peter is dealing with false teachers, false philosophy, false religious thoughts. The whole chapter deals with false teaching. And then he He wants them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, as he speaks, shares as one who is filled with the Spirit, one who has seen the truth of who Jesus is and has shared that there are going to come those into the church, the body of Christ, as early as the first century, those who are going to bring in false teaching. There will be false teachers and false prophets. And I think as we look at this passage and kind of bring this Second Peter 2 to a conclusion, we really find that Peter gives us three ways to recognize false teachers. First off, we are to recognize their attitudes. 
that we are to recognize their attitudes. Now, when we think about our attitude, Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That we are to have the mind, the heart, the attitude of Christ. And yet, what we find here, and we look at the false teachers, is that their, their life, their teaching goes against living for Christ, it is all instead about living for self. Now we think about the attitudes of these teachers and notice we find their attitude toward themselves. Notice what it says in verse number 10. Those who follow polluting desires of the flesh. Their attitude is is that they want to delight in their sin. Their minds and hearts are seeking after the things of the flesh. Their minds are polluted. Their minds are proud. They despise authority, it says in verse number 10. Verse number 13 says that they delight in deception. In verse number 14, it says that they not only delight in deception, but they have eyes full of adultery. Now what we find, we think about delighting in deception and that word of delighting in sin, the word delight is the word pleasure. We get the Greek, uh, in, in Latin, the, the Greek word hedonism from this word delighting. And it is about living for pleasure, living for self, and living even in sinful pleasure. So their attitude towards self is, hey, I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to cast off all restraint, and I'm going to live to please self. That's their attitude towards self. Jesus would say, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a servant. Here, they live for self. But not only do we see that, but we also see their attitude toward authority. Notice what it says in verse number 10, that they despise authority. You know, as you look at the end of Second Peter chapter 2, you know, it reads like today's newspaper. It really does. When people think about how do you make the Bible relevant? No, you don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. I mean, Second Peter 2 gives us and shows us exactly what's going on in our world today. He says that they're despising authority. And he goes on to say that they even slander glorious ones. That could be spiritual or human leadership and authority that are placed in their life. What is it that would bring a small elementary child to openly and defiantly stand and point his finger in the face of a teacher and say, no, I'm not going to, or curse and say, no, I'm not going to. And what would possess someone to stand in front of a a law enforcement officer and scream in their face. What we find right here, what's going on on the inside is just coming out on the outside. They live for self. They think only about self. And because of that, that is their attitude toward authority. As you think about that, there was a lady named Kellyanne Waltz. And in 2009, uh, she had a pet bear. Pet, a, a, a big brown bear, weighed about 350 pounds, and she would take and scoop some dog food and throw it to the side of the cage, and then she would go clean out the other section of his cage. Well, in October 2009, the bear was not distracted enough by the dog food, attacked her, and killed her. Tragic, her, it was her pet bear named Teddy. But, but notice what it says here as we, as we think about this picture in verse number 
12. But people who live for self and defy and despise authority. He says this, they are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Why do we find that wild animals, I used almost uh, one from an orca named Tillicum who attacked a worker at SeaWorld. You know, I mean, these are wild animals and their nature on the inside is wild and unpredictable. And that's what he's saying about these kinds of people. Their attitude toward self, their attitude toward authority. Thirdly, we see their attitude toward others. In verse number 13, it says that they uh, delight in their deceptions, that they have eyes full of adultery. They're, they're ready to do harm. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they have done in verse number 13. Again, if I have to step on you, if I have to use you, if I have to lie to you, I'm going to live for self. And then we see their attitude also toward God. Up in Second Peter verse uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2, it talks about many are going to defile their depraved ways and the truth will be maligned because of them. They knew the truth. Ultimately, as we look further into this section, they have the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they have rejected him, recognize their attitude. When you look across the landscape of the world in which we live and we find people living for self, despising authority, using others with an unhealthy, unholy attitude toward God, mark it down, false teacher. Second thing that we see is not only recognize their attitude, but we are to recognize their words. Recognize their words. Notice with me down in verse number uh, 17. It says that these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. It's interesting that Peter would say that their teachings are empty. Their teachings are absolutely empty. And then he gives two not just one, but two different object lessons. He says that they are like springs without water. Now, we recognize and understand that as you go into the northern area of Israel, it is, uh, they, they draw water from the Sea of Galilee, and it is green and lush, and they do uh, a lot of, of, of crops in that northern section of Israel. But when you get down to the southern section of Israel, down around the, the Dead Sea, man, it looks like uh, this is where R2-D2 landed looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi down there, you know? I mean, it is, it is dry and open and arid. And he says that these false teachers are like a spring that you've gone to and you've trusted, but now there's no water. He says it's like a a mist driven by the storm. The picture is it's like a cloud that looks like it's going to, to bring some rain. We've, we've suffered times of, of drought and been behind in our rain here in Missouri from time to time. And as we have, you, you, you start to see the dry, the ground getting dry and beginning to crack. And, and then you look at the weather and you think, okay, 
You know, it's a 30% chance. Not great, but, but then a cloud begins to roll in and form. And then the next thing you know, it's gone south to Jefferson County or gone north up toward Hannibal. And you think, oh, we missed it again. Here's the picture. That their teaching doesn't refresh and renew. It doesn't provide the water of life that you need. Instead, all it does is bring further emptiness. He had just used the picture of the prophet Balaam. Balaam was hired by King Balak to curse Israel. And he tried. He got on his donkey and began to head toward King Balak. And you remember the story, the angel of the Lord stopped the donkey and Balaam starts beating the donkey and the donkey turns around and says, what in the world are you beating me for, man? Don't you see? And he gives the picture that this donkey had more spiritual sense than this prophet. Balaam was out for the money. He was out to to gain for self. And here we see that the message of these false teachers of this day are empty. Their teachings are empty. But then we not only find that their teachings are empty, but their promises are unfulfilled. It's, it's very and, and pretty, pretty amazing to me how this states this in verse number 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Notice again what, what he's saying. He's saying they're promising freedom. They're promising freedom. Hey, you can do your own thing. You can have your own way. You can live your own life. And it's going to be great. And they promise, they make this promise that this is the key to happiness. Chart your own ship. Be the master of your own fate. Live your own life. Live how you want. Live for self. Step on others. Despise authority. Don't care about God. Do what you want. And ultimately what Peter says is while they're proclaiming freedom from everything around them, they are ultimately enslaved to the own depravity and corruption of their own heart and their own mind. It is the picture of Romans 1 where God finally just gives people over to their own depraved, debased mind and heart and life. But they promise that they have the key and the answer. And there are many who want to go on TV or they want to share through movie or film how casting off authority and living without restraint is the answer and will bring peace and joy in life. And ultimately, they are just enslaved to depravity and corruption. They promise freedom, but ultimately they're chained up. And that's the way the voice of the world often speaks. They speak about things they don't understand. And though their sinful lifestyle may bring momentary pleasure, it brings no deep 
rooted, deep set meaning in life. Recognize their attitudes, recognize their words, but thirdly, recognize their relationship with Jesus. Notice as we think about their relationship with Jesus, what it says. They're promising freedom and they're slaves of corruption. Verse number 20. For of having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. The picture is, is that they know the truth. They know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And Second Peter chapter 2, again, back in verse number 2, it says that the truth will be maligned. They know the truth, and yet they reject the truth. They have heard the message of Jesus, and maybe even come into church, and maybe even look churchy for a little while. But ultimately, even though they know the truth about Jesus, it gives the picture that they reject Jesus. It says that they now have turned from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in the things of the world, and they are defeated. And Peter ultimately says this. They were better off not having heard the gospel than having heard it and absolutely rejected it. Because God holds us accountable to the amount of light that we receive. Understand that. God holds us accountable to the amount of light that we received. And when they have received the fullness of the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they have rejected him, they have heard the gospel and willingly, purposefully turned and said, absolutely not. And God says that their judgment will be even greater. I dare say, people who have grown up in church people who have heard the message of the gospel are going to face a harsher and stricter judgment for rejecting Jesus than for someone who never received or never heard the message of Jesus. Now, ultimately, the picture is, is that all people are separated from God because of their sin. And there is no hope without Jesus but there is greater accountability when we have heard the message of Jesus and they will be held accountable. Now, as we think about their accountability, he ultimately gives some harsh words. If you go back through 2 Peter 2, 2, you find words like destruction. You find that they will be held in gloom of darkness. We find that their punishment is coming. They will be paid for the harm that they have caused. There is a day in which every man, woman, boy and girl, student, they will stand before the Lord. Obviously, we recognize that for those who are, are small and un, uh, cannot understand, the Lord will, will deal with them differently. For, but for those of us who are here this morning, who clearly have understood the message of the gospel, who have clearly understood Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we proclaim to a world that desperately needs to know, when someone rejects Jesus, they will be held accountable. 
I don't think that they're going to be able to go back and throw up their hands. Matter of fact, Romans 1 says that they will be held without excuse, as all people in the world will be. No excuses. C.S. Lewis really came to the point of saying, Jesus just can't be a good, good guy. He can't be a good moral teacher. He can't just be looked at as a prophet or a preacher or a good example. No one could teach like Jesus and be a good teacher. He would say that there is a narrow way, a narrow road and a narrow gate. And there's only one way to come to the Father, and that was through him. Jesus was very exclusive. Jesus alone. He was very exclusive. Jesus alone. A good moral teacher couldn't say that. So he is either a liar, a lunatic, or we need to fall before him fresh and new every day and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it tells us that there is coming a day. And on that day, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I would encourage you, do it today. If you've never professed your faith in Jesus Christ alone as the only way of salvation, I want to tell you to go and face the judgment and wrath of God after hearing that Jesus clearly died to pay the penalty for our sin and rose from the dead and hear that week after week there will be great accountability. So call on him and proclaim him as Lord today. With that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. And God, I ask that uh, you would take this time of reflection, invitation. And Lord, if there's a man or a woman, maybe, Lord Jesus, you have been around them all of their life, but you've truly never penetrated their heart. They've never opened their heart. Lord, I ask today that in the power of your spirit and that your kindness would lead to repentance. Father, for those who maybe have come to know you, they've heard your voice and they've heard your call, and yet, Lord, they've gotten off course today. Draw them back to yourself. God, please move in the name of Jesus. Amen.